Good morning, everyone. How y'all doing? Oh, it's so good to be with you all. If you're watching online, welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, I got to tell you, that brand new student center, it's unbelievable. It's absolutely unbelievable. It just keeps going and going. I got a tour of it today, and I, I just, I saw all of these amazing volunteers and they're like dancing. Most of them didn't have rhythm, but they were like dancing. Um, and I just, I, I felt myself just amazed. One, because I think that when we look back at this, we're going to know that, yes, it was a global physical health pandemic. But I think when we study this in 5, 10, 15 years, we're going to recognize that this was a global mental health pandemic. And often the most affected that we're discovering are middle school students and high school students. And they need a place where they can go, where they can be known, where they can be seen, where uh, there can be other voices that are, in many ways, basically saying the same things that you say at your table, but your kids are listening to them. And so, like, they need these safe spots. And I just tell you, that room over there, I think that there is going to be profound levels of ministry and, like, the future of FaithBridge. And that's just the lives are just going to be transformed. So just, it's beautiful to get on one of those tours. If you're online, you got to get on that tour. Check it out. Check it out. Um, today, um, I'm going to follow up on what Pastor Ken taught last week. And I thought it was a fantastic message. He, he talked about three points. And the first one from Ephesians 4, 1 and 2, that we ought to live a lives worthy of our calling. Two, we got to be people who are about humility, gentleness, and patience, that's really important. And thirdly, that we got to be people, if we're going to actually interact with one another, that like the gospel is center, is like central to how like we, we interact. And, and so Pastor Ken like reframed a vision for what are essential in Christian relationships. Well, I'm going to talk about something that I think is like a, a, a deep and profound barrier. And that's James Harden. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, but I had a buddy of mine who called me uh, earlier th this year, and he was like, hey, 150 bucks, I did it. I'm like, what? I bought my favorite NBA player's jersey. And I was like, fantastic. Who'd you get? Kyrie, KD, Zion, who'd you get? James Harden with the Rockets. I was like, oh, it's amazing. And two weeks later, when he was gone, I, I messaged him. And I was like, hey, uh, how's that jersey working for you? And he's like, I already burned it. <laughs> it's like, next time if you want to just spend $150, you can just send it to me. Um, but it, you could tell he was angry. I think for many Houstonites, is that what you call yourselves? Houstoners? Houstonites? Houstonians! Oh, I'm so dumb. I'm so dumb. <laughs> People online are like, he's not very smart. Um, but like, you know, you're probably all frustrated. Like, why? Why would you want to leave, you know? And then don't even get me started on Deshaun Watson. Yeah, moment of silence right there, right? Just this cloud of like, please, please, please. And here's what I want to talk about. is like, I want to talk today about reframing anger. Anger. And just what I just did by coming into Houston and talking about James Harden and Deshaun Watson, because obviously I love sports, I, I want you to know when Paul was writing to the church in Ephesus, he knew the city. 
He knew kind of the strongholds of the city. He knew what the city was based on. He knew what people got excited about. He knew the background and the stories of the city. And in Ephesus, there was one of the seven wonders of the world. It was a temple, not to God, but to the lowercase g God called Artemis. And Artemis was the goddess of fertility. And this temple was massive. People came from all over. Now it's just a pile of rocks. This is an artist's and scholar's rendering of it. But it was massive. People came from all over hoping that Artemis and that the spirit of Artemis like, would come over them and they would be blessed financially and with kids. And, and one day the myth of Artemis was that one day she went out to the woods and she was uh, bathing which I've never done that before in the woods, but it's cool. But it's a myth, but it's like she's out there and somebody sees her. And so she's a little like nervous and she doesn't know what to do, but she's just feels so like someone saw me. And so she ends up calling the goddess of rage, the goddess of anger. And and this goddess's name was uh, Lita. And, And when you saw Lita, like she basically came at this person, and and the person died. And literally, this spirit of Leda, this goddess, could like turn anyone into like being angry and rageful. And and again, her spirit still lives. If you don't believe me, just go on Facebook. (laughs) And, and, And you're seeing this. And this is like an old artist rendering. She is the one with like the dog crown. Because like when rage and anger is like kind of pronunciated and, and, and broken down in, in the original language, it's, it's also synonymous with rabies. And so like she would come in at night and literally like infect you and make you crazy, make you rageful, give you rabies and nobody wants that. And so there's these old quotes, you can find them. At one point they said, go fleet hounds of Lita. Drive them raving mad. And this is what she did. This is what she did. And so this was like folklore in the city of Ephesus. And so Paul, when he's writing, he's literally writing about Artemis. When you read the book of Ephesians, he's writing about Artemis, but he never mentions this goddess or this temple once. He just compares it to the beauty of finding your identity in Christ. And the way when you live your identity in Christ, how it reframes everything, even your anger. Look what it says in Ephesians 4, verse 26. It says, in your anger, do not sin. You might just need to write that on your mirror. In your anger, do not sin. And when you sin, you're choosing to live less than what you were created and intended to be by God. In your anger, do not sin. And then it says, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Remember this whole story of like Lita, like you don't know what could happen with with like the rabies and the rage. Like don't let that happen. And then it says, and, and don't let the devil get a foothold. Do not give the devil a foothold. Because when you think about it, when we like go to sleep in our anger, we don't sleep very well. When we go to sleep in our anger, we wake up tense. When we go to sleep in our anger, we, wo- we wake up disconnected. When we go to sleep in our anger, like things in- that we could actually choose to do instead of sleep, to escape, which many people will do, doesn't actually 
profit a person's faith. It's really giving the devil a foothold. And all of a sudden, struggle and addiction and more pain and collateral damage happens. But I've been really, really fascinated because I think in this day and age, we are living in a time where we are in discovering more and more and more of people's anger. After the first service, there were just people who came up and just saying like, this is my story. I didn't even know I had this in me, but 2020 just brought out moments that I, I didn't even recognize my own self. But what is, what's human anger? I, I really think that human anger is the negative energy of sadness. I, I think when we're angry, it's really the icing of our sadness. For many of us, we, we've just experienced sadness, but we don't know how to get to it. But anger feels good because it's, it's got like some energy to it. You, you get your voice loud. You get frustrated. You get kind of like worked up. It kind of feels good. But anger is just a cover for our sadness. The question we have to ask ourselves when we're feeling angry is what brings you sadness? What makes you sad? A disappointment? Betrayal? Things aren't going the way that you thought they would. I mean, really, really simply put, sadness and angst is the gap between your expectation and reality. Whatever you expect to happen and then it doesn't happen and reality hits, whatever that gap is, that's where sadness and angst live. And here's what I mean. I, uh, this week, I decided to do something kind of, in my opinion, a little creative. I got a little Jeep Wrangler. We live out in the desert. I decided to go pick up some, some Mexican food, and, and I, I created this picnic, and I, was, I, I picked up my family, and I took them off-roading, and I opened up the back of the Jeep, and I, I laid out the spread, and, and we had, like, guacamole, which is essential for every good meal, and, like, oh, we just had chips and salsa and quesadilla. You're all hungry right now. You at home, you get to go actually eat while you watch this. Us, not so much, but, like, like all of a sudden, you're, you're having this moment, and I'm thinking this is going to be awesome. My expectation is that, literally, this is going to be a moment that when my daughter's 37, she's going to go, Dad, remember when you took us out in the desert? I have these expectations. You know what happened? My seven-year-old and my 12-year-old got into a fight. My seven-year-old ran off into the desert, not very smart. And like, I'm sitting here going, this did not go the way I wanted to. That's the Christian version. <laughs> what I was feeling inside is, I work so hard. I'm trying my best. Why can't you get along? Why? My expectation was far off from reality. And I think for many of us, that's what 2020 gave us. So many of us, when we, when we try to interact and we have like these, these desires or expectations for a spouse or a date night or expectations for our boss or coworkers, expectations for our kids, and then it's far off from reality, all of a sudden that creates sadness that gets often turned into anger. The question is, what do we do with that? And this is where James, the brother of, of, of Jesus, has some really, really insightful words. He says this in James chapter 1, verse 19 and 20. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Write this down. You do not want to forget this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. 
One quick, two slows. This should just be something that we all do. I think for every one of us, we can say there's been a time in our life where when we were angry, we didn't say the right thing, we didn't listen very well, and we didn't actually do something that was beneficial to us in the long run or to those around us. And so, so like James is saying, hey, everyone, everyone. And back in those days, if you had like positional authority, I mean like you were, you were the leader of the house, you, you were like the leader of the company or the business, you, you had some kind of last name or some kind of influence in the city, you were someone who would speak because the more that you knew or the more prestige or power, the more it was assumed that people would want to hear from you. But even Paul, James is writing, hey, hey, I don't really care because of the way of Jesus. Um, every one of us needs to literally, literally be quick to listen and slow, slow to speak and slow to become angry. The next verse in verse 20 just beautifully says, because human anger, not God's anger, God gets angry about injustice or anything that, that pushes people away from the presence of his presence, but, but because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. This is really, really important. Our human anger, I think every one of us could say, when have we made a good decision when we were so angry? We usually are saying something and we're like, I wish I wouldn't have said that. And then you have to go to your spouse and say, I'm so sorry. And she's like, there's the couch. And you're like... You coming with? And she's like, nope. And so, like, you, like, it's just not great. It's not great. In James 4, 1 and 2, he says, what causes fights? What causes quarrels among you? Like, literally, why do people fight? Why do people get angry with one another? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? And then in verse 2, it has this most amazing line. It says, your desire, you desire but do not have, so you kill. What? James understands that back then the people weren't that emotionally intelligent and there wasn't people like we have today, police officers protecting and serving. So people ended up getting angry and they literally went out and killed someone. Now, it's not like that totally here, but I think in the last number of years we've seen when people get angry, We've seen people go, there was a phrase decades ago, they've gone postal. We, we, we've seen people get angry and their sadness and their angst of what they expected their life to be and then reality, they don't know what to do and so they literally were killing one another. And, and I'm sure, I'm sure in a church like this, I'm sure every one of you is like, I'm not gonna murder someone. I mean, I might get angry. I might, get, I might say something. I might lift a finger when someone's driving by. I'm not going to kill them. Like, let's, let's just get real, Steve. But can I just tell you what Jesus said? Let's just tell you what Jesus said about this. He says this in the Sermon on the Mount, which is the greatest sermon ever. And, and, and in Matthew 5, he so beautifully articulates. He goes, you have heard that it was said to people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. So if you kill someone, you're in trouble. But then look what he says. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister 
will be subject to judgment. You see what he just did right there? He just connected murder with anger. And then he takes it even farther. And he goes, again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, which I'm sure none of you have said, because you don't even know what that word means. Baraka is this like insult. It's a derogatory term. It's something where you are making someone feel less than you. That person, whoever's angry and lashes out, is answerable to the court. And this court would have been like the Sanhedrin where all of the Jewish leaders were. It'd be like our Supreme Court. And anyone who says, anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Well, uh, my message is done. <laughs> I mean, like, if I started out and was like, hey, anybody else murdered someone? What Jesus is saying in the kingdom of God, when you, like, assassinate someone's character, when you go after and verbally attack or abuse someone, in God's eyes, it's like you have murdered the image of God within them. And you want to see where this happens? It's called Twitter. And you see it, though. People are just sad. And that sadness is coming out in anger. And so how do we, as faith bridgers, how do we, as people who want to take the way of Jesus seriously, how do we be people who address anger? And here's what I'm here to tell you. Addressing anger requires these three action steps. The first one is awareness. If you're actually going to be and actually address anger, first and foremost, you got to be aware of it. You have to be aware of your sadness. You have to be aware of what makes you angry. And, and I've done a lot of years in counseling. Um, growing up, my dad, before he knew Jesus, I had a big job. But I could tell by the way he picked me up if he was going to talk to me in the car ride home. He either say something funny, something wise, or he was really verbally abusive and um, just said names that, that just still at times can haunt me. Uh, he would carry a briefcase, big time business guy, put it on the table every night when he got home, opened it up. I can still hear it, lift it up, and there was a loaded 357 Magnum in there. I didn't, I didn't mess with my dad. I, I, I could just read him. And if I felt like he was angry, I grabbed my basketball and I left. What's amazing is for many of us, we might say, I'm not going to be someone who's going to lash out at another person. I'm not going to call someone Raka. I'm not going to murder someone. But I think for many of us, we're so afraid of becoming a parent or becoming someone that we've become really good at stuffing it. And I think that our anger takes on various forms. For some of them, it's just repressed or suppressed or stuffed. For some of us, it's passive-aggressive because those people are fun. <laughs> you ever been around a passive-aggressive family member? Sign me up to that party. I'll tell you what, I, I have this, this tradition, usually um, most nights, about 9.30 at night, I, um, I, uh, I go to this little butler's counter and um, I fill up water and a little tea kettle. Um, I make my favorite tea. I travel with it. Sweet and spicy by Good Earth. It's amazing. 
not sponsored by them, but if they want to, uh, that's great. Um, but it's amazing. I'll, I'll, just, I'll just turn on the, the, kind of the boil some water. Sometimes I reflect on my day. It's just a little bit of a practice. I'm just trying to become more aware of my, like, sadness, that I experience sadness throughout the day. And there was this moment where I was just kind of watching it, like, you're watching it. And, and I just started to, like, see it just start to bubble. And I was remembering this one conversation that I had had. And I just felt like it, I couldn't shake it. And the more I thought about it, the more angry I got about it. And I'm just like sitting there. And you know, you have those moments where like you are somewhere, but you just drift off to another place. And then something happens that brings you right back to reality. I'm sitting here looking at it, but not really looking at it. And like thinking about something and almost like just feeling it. And then this thing started to like whistle at me. And it started just to make the most obnoxious noise. And you know this noise. And I just started to think, oh my goodness, this is like what it's like to be married to me. <laughs> like I, I, I have this thing under the surface. And here's the crazy piece is that many of us in this season, I should turn this off before we all have to move to that new building because I burned this one down. Um, but like you have this moment where you begin to realize like, man, I'm just carrying all of this. I'm afraid to even just become aware of it. But the truth is, your spouse is aware. Your kids are aware. Your friends are aware. I mean, if you ever wonder why you have like shoulder pain, neck pain, why you like clench your jaw, it's probably anger, why you're just tense all the time, sadness. And I think for many of us, we have to be aware of this. Passive aggressiveness, slander, rage, fighting, all of that is just sadness turned into some form of anger. But can I tell you my favorite kind of way to be angry? It's what I call anger fantasies. You know what those are? I mean, we're always taught in church, like, you know, have a pure mind, like no lustful thoughts. And I get that. It's really wise. It's biblical. But nobody ever teaches you not to have anger fantasies. You know what this is? This is like literally when you're in your car and you're like, if I see that person and you're visualizing you having a conversation, they're not in the car with you. You're talking to your Toyota Corolla steering wheel and you're hitting it and you're like, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to, I'm going to, like, and you start fantasizing about it. This is literally what the book of Psalms is. This is like David like pouring it out going, I'm fantasizing about something bad happening to my enemy, but God, I'm trusting you with that. You do whatever you want to do. I don't want to do this. And I think for many of us, we carry this. We carry this. Again, it's because we expected one thing from a friend, a spouse, a relative, a friend, and reality was over here. How aware are you of your anger? How aware are you of your sadness? Second, way to address anger requires that we acknowledge it. I don't understand why it's so hard for us to say, I just feel sad. And it's coming out in anger. I don't know why it's so difficult for us to actually admit it. And you ever have one of those moments with your spouse or your parent, and you're like, are you angry? No. <laughs> okay. 
Are you defense? Are you being defense? I feel like you're being defensive right now. I'm not defensive. Like, like do, you, do you even hear yourself? And I think what's hard is we struggle to acknowledge it. But here's the crazy thing about the way of Jesus. Can I just tell you this? The way of Jesus to enter in is you saying, I was wrong. I was wrong. But something crazy happens is often once we say that I was wrong and grace rushes in, we never, ever want to say I was wrong again. And I'm telling you what, to be a Christ follower is to say, like, I was wrong. And I'm a work in progress. And there's going to be more days that I'm wrong. There's more days where I'm sad. There's more days where my anger comes out in the wrong way. There's more days. And I think what's really, really important, especially like when you go to bed, if you're not going to like go to sleep in your anger, let the sun go down. Instead of jumping on your phone and spending 90 minutes on Instagram, what would it look like to, to, to roll over and, and ask your, your spouse, how, how are you today? How are you? What was the high? What was the low? And if there is a low, and I guarantee you it is if you're actually human and you're interacting with broken people, you will be disappointed, then you have a chance to acknowledge your sadness. And this is simple, but it's just something that starts a conversation for my wife and me. I just simply say, I feel sad because blank. Fill in the blank. Don't just say, I feel sad because blank. It's like unspoken prayers, you know, like unspoken. Um, like, but I feel like it's, it's, it's us having the chance to be honest and human. I feel sad because I expected our date night to go this way, and I didn't. And it's okay. I just feel sad about that. I feel sad because I thought I was getting a bonus, and I didn't. I feel sad because I really wanted to celebrate our 20-year anniversary, but then COVID hit. I feel sad Someday, J.J. Watt's not going to be a Texan. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, I feel sad. Like, it's just having these moments where you can be real, and all of that begins to change you. The first is you got to be aware. Second, you got to acknowledge. And third, you have a choice and a decision to align. And you can align yourself with your anger and sadness in a way that doesn't produce the righteousness of God or the righteousness God desires and this is literally like what we do. We escape the sadness. We escape and we escape in a form of anger or rage or gossip or slander or we think we're Conor McGregor and like we're like fighting. We like quarrel. We get online or we try to make someone feel dumb and we just want to try and win and achieve and we just start doing stuff that doesn't actually produce the righteousness of God. And so we escape. But we can also choose not to escape and take all of that energy and all of that sadness and not run to something that's unholy and unhealthy, but we can literally choose to align ourselves with the way of Jesus, which will always lead to something more redemptive. Redemptive. I don't know what that looks like for you, but it could be journaling. It could be sharing with a friend. It could be sharing with a spouse how you're really doing. It could be praying deeply with Jesus for some of us, we feel anger in our bones. And, and literally, for many of us, we've just got to channel that somewhere. And so some of us go off and buy something. Some of us go and eat something. Some of us go look at something. Some of us step out of our marriage. The truth is, like, there's a better way. 
uh, for a long time before I went to counseling. I didn't know what to do with what I was feeling. I played basketball and I, could, I had a place where I could channel all that aggression and competition and anger towards. And it was like Bobby Boucher looking at like another opponent, like I'm just going to crush you. And like people were like, this guy's crazy. But I had something. And then you get into church ministry and that doesn't work. It's, like, it's just not healthy. And so what did I do? I started boxing. And, and I just hit something. I started getting in tune with my body and in tune with the anger. Started running. Why would anyone run? That just makes me more angry. Like it just, but I, I started to be able to go, gosh, I can tell. You've got to figure out what that is. What's a more redemptive act that will produce righteousness and right living? Not escape and produce something that's unhealthy, not just to you, but to those around you. When you live like this, it changes you. And for me, one of the central prayers that I pray is an old prayer called the welcome prayer. I'm going to put it up on the screen. And those of you watching online, you can see this as well. But this welcome prayer has been something that I've just started to pray five or six times a week. And it just slows me down. It just allows me to get in tune with what I'm actually feeling because I often don't want to. I want to stay efficient and stay busy. And so this is what it says. I just want to read it over you. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I welcome everything that comes to me today. And you say those words, I will welcome everything that comes to me today. Me getting cut off. Me not getting paid the way that I thought I was going to get paid. Me, me having, being disappointed. I welcome it all because I know it's for my healing because again, if you react and you get angry, all of a sudden what it's doing is it's reminding you, you're sad. There's a wound. And this just provokes it and allows you, if you're in tune, to say, I don't want to run away from this. I actually need God's healing. I welcome all thoughts, feelings, emotions, persons, situations, and conditions. I let go of my desire for power and control, which is so hard for me to say. I let go of my desire for affection, esteem, approval, and pleasure, and it's so hard for me to pray. I let go of my desire for survival and security. It's so hard for me to pray. I let go of my desire to change any situation, condition, person. <laughs> I have to say person like 19 times. Or even myself. And then beautifully, it says, I open myself up to the love and presence of God and God's action, which is always going to be healing. God's action is always going to lead to transformation love, peace, and freedom. That's what Jesus brings. The question is, will you welcome it? And once you welcome it, then you have a decision. Man, I don't make great decisions out of my anger. I'm going to acknowledge it in my sadness, and I'm going to choose to align in a different way, with a way that's going to lead to transformation and peace and love and freedom and more of Jesus. You slowly start to do this, and things begin to change. 
change, change. I say this because in a moment in this room, we're going to have the chance to participate in communion. And for those of us watching online, uh, Pastor Ken's going to get up and he's going to give a blessing and benediction in a moment. But I want to just say one thing, because human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. People often ask me, Steve, what about God's anger? A lot of people have this thought that God's angry like my father was before Christ. And can I just tell you one thing? God's anger is towards sin and evil. And God's love is towards sinners like you and me. God's not angry at you. God's angry at the injustice and the evil and sin. God's love is for you. Healing, transforming, giving you freedom, peace, and love that's all found in his son, Jesus. Can you become more aware, acknowledge, and align with the way of Jesus? And you will address your anger in healthy and redemptive ways. Let's pray. God, we come before you and we just say thank you. We thank you that you have not given up on us. We thank you that even though we might be in some ways more emotionally intelligent or have some sense of restraint more than the people living in the days of Jesus, it's hard for me to even say but what I've done with my words, what I've done with my anger. In your eyes, it's the same thing. I'm, I'm, I've murdered somebody's image to prove a point, to win, to look good, out of angst or sadness. And so God, I pray, I pray, I pray that we would all remember that you didn't do that with us, but you demonstrated love and you asked us to go pay it forward. So let us, as faith bridgers, not be the kind of people that return evil for evil, anger for anger, sadness for anger, but we return what you gave to us to others so that this city, this community, this county, this state, this country would begin to see more of you. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Well, in here, we get to participate in communion. And I often hear people say, uh, let's take communion. The crazy thing is, um, we don't take communion, we receive it. Um, we live in a culture that's good at taking. Adam and Eve in the garden were taking the fruit. We receive. Because there's nothing that we could do to earn this meal. There's nothing we could do to earn this grace. We can just receive it. And so if you've not figured it out yet, these are very difficult and tricky communion things to open. If you'll get to the, just the first top, I want you to pull out a piece of the bread. And I think this represents when Jesus, when he was gathering with his disciples, he took something that was just so tangible and he broke it and he ate. And I think it's so beautiful because there's this old understanding of 
of Eucharist or communion to break yourself open and pour yourself out because that's what Jesus did on the cross. He broke himself open and he poured himself out. And somehow this meal is what puts us back together. This meal gives us the nourishment to go out into the world and break ourselves open and pour ourselves out. And so Christ has entrusted you to live and see as he lived a life of love and peace and freedom. So let us receive and eat. And then he invited everyone to see not just bread differently, but a cup. Every time we raise a glass, we would be reminded of this covenant, reminded of what Jesus shed on that cross, reminded that his blood poured out on us reminds us that every day we have the chance to become new and renewed in Christ, that every day we are reminded that we have been invited into this covenant. And so let us drink. I really want you to see one thing before I'm done. I think one of the most profound ideas of communion is the idea of the table that you come and you receive bread and the cup and you, you, you have this moment where you're tending to Christ's presence so that every time you sit at another table, you would just remember Christ is there too. And you would tend to his presence when you're at the dinner table and your expectations are far off from reality or you're sitting in a boardroom and around a table and your boss has let you down. You can tend to Christ's presence and allow him to lead you in a more redemptive way and where we can break ourselves open and pour ourselves out. We're gonna sing right now just in response to the goodness of what Jesus gave to us. Let's sing.